you would open your Bibles to the first chapter of the book of Psalm. We'll find our text for this morning. Uh, a few weeks ago, we, we've been going through this book as a church. It's the book called The Blessed Life. And just to remind you that a few weeks ago, someone purchased enough of these books to give out to every family within our church family. They had got a hold they had got a hold of this book, but more importantly, God had got a hold of them through this book and began to use them. I'm telling you there's an anointing on this. And and it's filled with scripture and with personal application and and, and so it was it was given as a gift. And I want to encourage you that if you've not if you've not begun this journey, you need to start. What Joy and I did, what worked for us, is we, we didn't want to rush through the book. We, we kind of took a, a chapter a day so that we could just have some time to, to savor it. But, but to be honest with you, it's about all we could stand in a day because I'm telling you, it's intense. And, and you get, I mean, God gets close to you. You know, the Bible says that the Word of God is sharp as a two-edged sword, and when you get close to it, you might get cut. But the good thing is, God is able to cut out some things in our life that doesn't need to be there so that healing can take place. And so I want to encourage you that if you've not, if you've not begun this journey, start. And if you've begun and maybe quit, I want to encourage you to restart. You know, that's the great thing about God. He allows do-overs. And He lets us start over as many times as we need. And so, it's, it's called the blessed life. And then, Pastor Brad's been preaching through uh, uh, several of the Psalms the past few weeks. And last week, he was uh, in Psalms uh, 145, and he was talking about how God builds up His children. And talking about how God mends the brokenhearted. And how God binds up our wounds. And how God wants you and me to live this thing called the blessed life. And I want to pick up with that this morning and, and talk about that from Psalms chapter 1. You know the great thing about the Bible is it's not just a book of don'ts. The, the great thing about the Bible is it's not just an ought to book. But it's a how-to book for life. And, and so this morning, I want us to think about how we can practically live out this thing called the blessed life. Let me ask you this. Is there anybody here who doesn't want to live the blessed life? I think not. And you know another word, the, the word, uh, our English word that we use today, the, the word happy, comes from that word blessed. And in the, in, the, in the words of a great theologian of our day named Phil Robertson, you can be happy, happy, happy. <laughs> and so the psalmist tells us how to do that. And so if you're there in Psalms chapter 1, let's just begin reading in verse 1. How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the assembly of scoffers. Instead, okay, those are the things he doesn't do. Instead, 
He finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. He meditates on the commands day and night. He's like a tree planted by flowing streams. It yields its fruit in proper time, and its leaves never fall off. He succeeds. Listen to that. He succeeds in everything he attempts. Wow. Do you want to be successful in life? Here He lays it out. Amen. We've got one honest person in here. Amen. We want to be successful. We want to what so what does that look like? And, and and what is it what does it look like practically in today's world how to live out this blessed life? He he tells us right here. He starts off in verse one. First of all, we've got to separate from the world. Separate from the world. Now, now what 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 does that mean now? If you've been in church any in your life, you've probably heard a phrase something like that. We've got to be separate from the world. But, but practically, in today's time, and in today's culture, what, what does that look like practically for you and me on a daily basis? How do we actually live that out? I mean, does, does separating from the world mean that we sell everything that we have and go move into a cave in Idaho? Is that what, that, is that what it looks like? This separating from the world means we, we wear the funny round-looking hat, wear black and white clothes and drive horses and buggies. Is that what it looks like in today's world? I mean, for you and me, practically, what, what, does, it, what does it look like in today's world? Do you, does it mean that you do not even talk to or associate with anybody that doesn't look like you or walk like you or talk like you or dress like you or smell like you? What does it look like in today's world, in today's culture? To separate from the world simply means that we are not influenced by this world system. That's what it means. Robert Morris in this book calls it the spirit of mammon. And he gets that from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2. He's, Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You see, mammon is nothing more than the, than the fallen system of this fallen world that stands in sharp contrast to God's way. That's, that's what it means. For instance, mammon says, buy and sell. God says, sow and reap. Mammon says, cheat and steal. God says, give and receive. You see, more than anything, what mammon, the spirit of mammon, what it wants to do is it wants to control your life. It wants to control the direction of your life. It wants to control uh, your future. And the reason we cannot serve both God and mammon is that the spirit of mammon is diabolically opposed to the spirit of God. They're just not compatible on any level. You see, mammon says, take. God says, give. Mammon says, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. Mammon is selfish. God is generous. So how do you break the spirit of mammon? And how do you move into living this blessed life? How do you, how do you separate from the world? In verse 1, look, we do not follow after the advice or, or the counsel of the wicked. The King James says it like this. That blessed is the one who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You don't go that way. Walking speaks of the direction you're going. But the psalmist is saying, 
don't go the wrong direction. We were out yesterday doing ministry and, and when we left the ministry point where we were in Shreveport and getting ready to come back, we were following somebody who got a new road name yesterday. And that new road name is Wrong Way. How do you think they got that name? Going the wrong way. Of course, we were all following that person. <laughs> and, and so what, what the psalmist is saying here is don't go the wrong way. I worked with a guy one time, it's been several years ago, we were in a very remote area, and, and he was trying to give directions, and he went into this long, elaborate detail about where a certain landmark was, and the person just couldn't quite get it, and finally he just went on and on, finally they got it, he said, don't turn there, <laughs> that's the wrong way. <laughs> And, and what the psalmist is saying is don't turn there. Don't, don't go that way. That's the wrong way. And so let me ask you this morning, where do you get your direction? Where, where I mean, the horoscope? Oprah? God forbid. I mean, your, your Uncle Harry that's been married five times and wants to give you, you know, relationship advice? Your Aunt Sally that's been bankrupt three times and telling you how to manage your finances. I mean, where do you get direction for life? Where do you go when you need, when you need to figure out where to go in life, what decision to make? Where do you go to get that? Where, where do you get that? The psalmist is saying, don't walk the same way that the wicked walk. Don't, don't go that way, is what he's saying. And the word wicked is a Hebrew uh, word, and it carries with it the idea of being loose and unstable. Not, not just with morals, but, but also with God, without Him to direct. It refers to those who are controlled by their own desires and their own emotions, their own flesh, rather than by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And what the psalmist is telling us is we, we are to avoid counsel with those who do not have God as their compass. Don't seek the, the advice or the counsel or those who, who are not following God. My wife told me a long time ago when we first was going into the preaching ministry and just kind of trying to work through all of that and getting direction. She said, as long as you follow God, I will follow you. So if somebody's following you, where are you leading them? Where do you get your direction in life? Where do you go to when you need to know which way to go and, and what to do? You see, there's godly counsel and there's ungodly counsel. And the Bible says, blessed is the person who does not follow ungodly counsel, but gets godly counsel. What sets your direction in life? So you can always go out and find somebody that agrees with you. But it doesn't mean that it's the right way. Blessed, happy is the person that does not walk or, or seek ungodly counsel. Or he goes on and says, nor stand in the pathway with sinners. You see, we go from seeking the advice of the ungodly to identifying. You're not opposing that viewpoint anymore. You're, you're embracing it. At first we may walk to the ungodly for, for counsel, but, but then we get to the point to where we, we don't walk back. We have to be careful with that. 
We hear what they have to say, but we don't walk back. We, we stand where they stand. We, we identify. And the word sinners here is a Hebrew word. It, it carries with it. It's, it's an archery term. And the word sin means to, literally it means to, it's an archery term. And it means to, to, to fall short of or to miss the mark. When, a, when an archer would shoot. At, at, at a target, if it if the arrow fell short or went wide and missed, it was called a sin. And the Bible talks about that. The Bible, in fact, the Bible says that what we are all sinners. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm glad that verse doesn't end there. But God, <laughs> I love it when God butts in. But God provides for us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the word sinner here used in, in the context here of, of Psalms here, it's, it's referring to those who have deliberately chosen a way of life, a path that is contrary to the will of God. See, the person of blessedness chooses the way of God, chooses to direct his life by the will of God. And then there's the natural digression here. We see that he says, don't walk with the wicked, don't stand with the sinners. And then he goes on and he says, don't sit in the assembly of the scoffers. You see the digression? You're walking. Then you're standing. Now you're sitting. Hmm. Those who mock the way of Christ. Sitting speaks of a resting place. And so now we've gotten comfortable where we find ourselves. First, we just kind of walked around the wicked. Okay? Got their counsel. Then we begin to stand around. Then we get comfortable enough to sit down in the middle. I want, I want to share something with you from Luke chapter Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 54. This is leading up to the time when, well, it explains it here. It says, Then they arrested Jesus, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter was following at a distance. When they had made a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a slave girl seeking him, uh, then, then a slave girl seeing him as he sat in the firelight, stared at him and said, This man was with him too, meaning Jesus. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him. I mean, get a hold of this. Folks, this this is Peter. This is the guy who walked on the water. This is the guy whom Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, that I am the Son of God. That's a spiritual thing that, that God has revealed to you. This is that Peter that Jesus said, Upon you, Peter, I will build my church. This is that Peter who is now walking with the ungodly to the point that he's sitting with them and denying that he even knows who Jesus is. Folks, I'm here to tell you, if it can happen to Peter, it can happen to you, and it can happen to me. It can happen to any of us, if we aren't careful. That, that's why 
The psalmist kind of lays it out, lays this out for us like that. You say, well, what happens is it, it's such a gradual thing. We wear this patch on, on our vest called Python Hunter. We uh, traveled through Texas a few weeks ago and stopped for fuel. And a guy in the store, of all the patches on my vest, he asked about that one right there. He said, what does that mean? I said, what that means is, if you read Genesis chapter 3, it talks about a serpent. And I said, there's a close correlation between the word serpent in Genesis 3 and the word from which we get our English word python today. And I said, if you'll look at how the serpent worked in the life of Eve, that's exactly how the spirit of Python works in our life today. You see, Python doesn't kill you by biting you. Rattlesnake will. Rattlesnake will just strike you and you'll die. That's it. But a Python just kind of eases up beside you. Begins to get comfortable around you. Then he begins to Wrap himself around your feet. And then kind of start to work his way up. And it's like, oh gee, he's up to my knee. And if you don't do something about it, then it's, oh my, he's up to my thigh. And then it is, keeps going and keeps going. And, and if you don't deal with it, the first thing you know, he's already, he, he's got himself wrapped all the way around you. And he's squeezing the very breath of life out of you. That's what the psalmist is saying. Don't, man, don't digress. Don't, don't do that, he's saying. Don't go that way. He say, well, well Pastor, so, so does that mean that you never hang around with anybody that's a non-believer? I mean, if we're separating from the world, if there's that, that danger of us getting ensnared by Python and, and we've always got to be hunting the way that he is uh, tracking us and, and trying to uh, trip us up, then, then what does that look like? No. Listen, when we, when we begin the ministry, the, of the priesthood ministry, we ask God to give us a foundational verse. God, give us something that we can build on. Give us a foundation. And this was it. In, in Luke chapter 15, in verse 1 and 2, in, in the message it says, By this time a lot of men... And women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. Now I know there's nobody here with a doubtful reputation, but believe it or not, sometimes we hang around with people that do. And we kind of figured, you know what, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's probably good enough for us. The Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growl. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. You know what? The only people that have a problem with, with where we go and what we do are the Pharisees. So how do you balance connecting with people where they are 
with 2 Corinthians 6.17 where it says, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. How do you balance that in life? A person who is separated from the world will not sit in the seat of the mockers. The word sit here means to dwell, to, to remain, to, to abide. It emphasizes a settled state or, or condition. Separate from the world. It doesn't mean that you completely isolate yourself. What it means is you're not the thermometer, you're the thermostat. What it means is you're not being influenced, you are the influencer. That's what it means. So how do you do that? You saturate yourself with the Word of God. He talks about that in verse 2. How can you tell if you're being saturated with the Word? You find pleasure in obedience. (laughs) James says that we're not to just be hearers of the Word, but what? Doers. That implies action. Obedience. We don't just hear the Word. We, We let it settle into our life and and we let it influence the way we we live our life. And can I just be honest with you this morning? I struggle with this thing called instant obedience. I struggle with the fact because, you know what? I'm an analytical person. And I like, man, I just like studying things. And I like turning them over and looking at the underside, touching it, feeling it, smelling it. I like I like analyzing things and having time to process it and and you know all of that thing, all of that stuff. A couple weeks ago I was traveling and I'd stop to take a little break and get some fuel and God spoke something very clearly into my into my heart. And it was so there's nothing that he'd ever said to me before. But I knew it was God. And it was, it, like I said, it was, it was not something that, that he'd ever said to me before. And so, I'm, I'm, man, I'm just backing up like, God, are you sure? And so I, you know, fiddle around as long as I can fiddle around. And I'm still, I'm just hearing God just speaking. So I got my truck started to leave. And man, God just stirring my heart. And I, so I backed up and I had like an empty water bottle and some wrappers or something in my truck. So I get out and I'm still fumbling around and throw it in the trash. And I wind up leaving without doing what God had spoken to me to do. Because I struggle with this thing called instant obedience. And I missed an opportunity that God had put before me. And that's why we we have to saturate ourselves so with the Word and be filled so with the Holy Spirit that, that we do have a heart to obey when He speaks those things into our life, regardless of what it might look like, regardless of what He may have said to us before. And so last week I was just, I was just reading, I was reading through Acts, I came upon Acts chapter 8, In verse 26 and 27, it says, Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, 
get up and, and go south on the road that, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And by the way, Philip, this is a desert road. So he got up and went. The Lord said, and he got up and went. Listen, that's where, that's where I want to live my life. I want to live my life in such a place that when God says, get up and go, I just get up and go. Even if it is a desert place. Listen, I, Philip knew that was a desert place. He wasn't telling Philip something he didn't already know. I think he's telling us that for our benefit. But he said, get up and go, and Philip just got up and went. That's where I want to live my life. That, that's why I need to be separate from this world system. That's, that's why I need to be saturated with the Word of God so that when those times come, I hear them and I obey them. And, and I'm thinking, well, if an angel told me, I'd do it right. I mean, really? We got the Word of God and the Spirit of God. It speaks to us. You need to evaluate where you're walking, where you're standing, where you're sitting. But here's the conclusion that I've come to in my life, and I'm afraid that it might be true in many of your lives as well, is I want the blessing without the obedience. See, we want to live that blessing. We want God's blessing on our life. We just don't want to live out the obedience. Obedience that's involved. Not only do we do that, but we, we meditate on His command. You know, meditation is to the soul what digestion is to the body. I have a business acquaintance who about four years ago was having some stomach issues and there's reflux type issues and so he it, it got severe enough that he went to the doctor and the doctor prescribed some medication for him and so he started taking the medication and it, it eliminated the, the reflux issues that he was having. But he started getting sick and, and, and just was, was running, you know, kept a low-grade fever. He was tired all the time. He had joint pain. He had, there, there was just a lot of things going on in his body that he thought, well, I've got to be having, you know, this has got to be a side effect to the medication. And so... He went back to the doctor and they began to, to further examine what was causing those issues. And what was causing those issues is, true enough, the, the medicine that he was taking stopped the acid reflux, but it also stopped the digestion process. And so he was eat, when he would eat the food, it just sat in his stomach and didn't digest. And it was making him sick. You know, we can... We can take in the Word of God, whether it's taught to us or preached to us or we hear it on the radio or we read it for ourselves through the Bible, but there's got to be a digestion process. We, we've got to digest it because that's what strengthens our soul. That's what gives us the ability to, to do the things that, that God is calling us to do. This word meditate is a very figurative word and and, and, and I've been told that a that, that a cow has what four stomachs. Sometimes I eat like I got four. But a cow will will go out and eat some grass in the morning and swallow it, and then in the heat of the day go lay up under a tree and 
bring that back up and chew on it some more. It's kind of the way we are to do with the Word of God. Just don't just read over it, man, but but let it let it settle in your soul. Meditate. Digest it. It's the way in which we we grow. You know, there are three questions you ought to be asking every time you hear the Word of God, whether it's taught, preached, you read it for yourself in the Bible, whatever. Three things you ought to always be asking yourself. Number one is, what is God saying? What's God saying? Then you ought to be asking, what's God saying to me? (laughs) Not to to my wife or, you know, my son or daughter, whatever. What's God saying to me through this? Thirdly, we ought to be asking, what does God want me to do about what he's saying to me? How's this, how can I digest this to the point that it, that it strengthens my soul and, and that it actually uh, causes me to, to change the way I, 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 I operate in, in my life? So, so the result from, from separating from the world and saturating yourself with the word of God is this. Verse 3 talks about it. I want you to read that again. Look at this. He is like a tree planted by flowing streams. It yields its fruit at proper time and its leaves never fall off. He succeeds in everything he attempts. You will be situated for life no matter what comes. You know, from what I understand, this word plant here in the Hebrew language, it means to transplant. So it, so it means taking a plant from, from one environment and, and taking that plant and placing it in another environment where it can thrive. Some of you will be doing that very soon if you haven't already. You will be taking some tomato plants out of a greenhouse and and taking them and transplanting them into a different environment where they can thrive and bear fruit. And when they begin to bear fruit, you will call me and tell me that it's born fruit. You see, the Bible says, and, and once that begins to happen, all which he does, will prosper. You know, we hear a lot of about prosperity today. Who, who doesn't want to live a prosperous life? Who, who doesn't want to be successful in life? What, what does that look like? The, who has the biggest house or the most toys? I mean, the, the largest bank account? Is that what success looks like? Is that what it means to proper... Prosper, Joshua 1.8 tells us what it means. He says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate, there it is again, therein, day and night, that thou mayest observe, there's the application, the obedience, to do according to all that is written therein. For then, when, then, when, then, thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. Spiritual success, absolutely. Relational success, absolutely. 
Financial success? Absolutely. God says you get my you get my order in order. Here's the results. Here's the results. And you know what? You can't just take in the word of God all the time. It's like a like a sponge. You know, a sponge can only soak up so much liquid, and and it, and then what happens if you don't do something with it? It gets to stinking. That's right. It's nasty. You got to wring it out so that it can soak up some more. You want to maybe you say, "Well, Pastor, God's just not speaking to me." Maybe you need to go wring yourself out and make room for God to speak to you. Go wring yourself out in ministry. Go pour your life into the life of somebody else. You can't just take in the Word of God. You got to. You got to give it out. And he says, and then there will be flowing streams. You see, we're to be a, a river, not a reservoir. We're not just to hold it, man. It's to flow through us into and onto the lives of others. Does that describe your life today? Then he says, those who do that will live a fruitful life. The blessed person is not only like a tree, but it's like a tree that produces fruit that blesses others. And whose leaf does not wither. This is a picture of being healthy in spite of the conditions. Because those roots have gone deep and have tapped into the source of life. Not walking in the way of the wicked, not sitting in the seat of the scornful, separating from the world, saturating with the Word of God. That's what sets us up to live a successful life. When we that helps those roots go deep and, and tap into the river of life, which is Jesus Christ. You want to live a blessed life? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to experience joy unspeakable?